from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of the Wow Report, where we count down the top 10 topics of the week that make us go wow. 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 Uh, I'm co-founder of World of Wonder, Thompson Bailey, and I'm joined, as I am every week, by our amazing Chief Creative Officer, Tom Campbell. How do you do? And editor of the Wow Report, James St. James. Yes, hello, oh my God, woo! As a reminder, you can watch the Wow Report for Radio Andy on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents, every week with extra content that was cut out for time on radio. We always have to cut things out. So uh, you can see all that Michigas on our YouTube channel, Wow Presents. All right, so I'm very excited to kick off the countdown this week. Slight change of plan because it is my singular honor to welcome to the show number 10. Number 10. Billy Luther, who is the director of Fry Bread Face and Me, his directorial feature debut, which is premiering um, Saturday, tomorrow, at the South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas. And um, just before I'll turn it over to Billy, I'll just say that um, well, you can see Billy is sitting at my normal desk at home. I'm in New Zealand with Tom, and Billy is at home at my desk because um, in life, Billy is my co-parenting partner, uh, in addition to being an amazing filmmaker. And Billy, tell us about Fry Bread Face and Me. Hey, guys. Hey, Billy. It's good to be here. First of all, congratulations. This is so exciting. And I just was just telling you right before that you look fantastic. I don't know if you've had work done or what, but this is the best you've looked in no. years. Let's yeah. talk about the film, but then let's talk about your skin regime and later in the show. <laughs> well, it's called the stress of making a film for two years diet. So <laughs> well I'm done. Straight. Well done. Yes. Um, yeah, it's a coming of age story set on the Navajo reservation in the nineties. And it's kind of loosely based on my experience growing up a city Indian, an urban Indian. And as many people say, you walk in two worlds and it's a fun journey, you know, through the eyes of this 11 year old kid named Benny. And it's just been a really like cool, you know, experience making it. Yeah. It's been a long time, right? Like when did you first have the idea? I mean, I slightly know the answer to the question, but when did you tell us about the process of, conceiving it, writing it, and getting it made? Yeah, it's probably about six years of writing, you know, since I first, um, you know, opened uh, Final Draft, but I, it was, it's, you know, it's kind of been a journey of my own life, you know, experiencing, experiencing things, you know, I couldn't make this film in my 20s, because I didn't have that life experience that I, I do now having, you know, having kids, um, so I just was inspired by my, my boys and, you know, uh, I think Nolan asked me, you know, what it was like growing up, you know, you know, in the nineties. And, and, and so I just kind of, you know, that sparked my kind of interest in getting back to, uh, writing because my, my, my past, my, my past work is all in, in documentary. 
That's right. You made uh, Miss Navajo uh, grab and... Red Lake. Red Lake, yes. Full disclosure, all produced and EP'd by the wonderful, you know, Fenton Bailey and Randy Barbado and World of Wonder. So, you know, all my projects have, have gone through WOW and they've always been a champion for Native stories and, you know, representation. But you have some pretty superstar associations with this, right? Yes, yes, yes. We have uh, Taika Waititi. He is an executive producer. Ah. Um, also, we, we have uh, Charles King with Macro and Greta and Poppy there. You know, Bill Poland and Kim Roth um, at River Road. Um, and the list goes on. REI Studios. Yes, the brand, the equipment place for one of our uh, investors as well. Um, no, it goes on. I mean, it's such a small, limited budget film made during the summer of 2021 peak pandemic. And it was a challenge, but everybody put their heart through it, you know, into it. And, and it shows on screen. Tell me about the kids who, who are the stars. How did you find them? And, and tell me a little bit about the, their process. The kids, you know, we uh, reached out to a casting director, um, Angelique Midthunder. And she had been casting um, uh, reservation dogs at the time. Mm. So she had her hand already kind of in this pot of kids, you know? Um, So she had, you know, some good reads of of kids. So we went through those and that's how we found our, our leads. Um, And it was, it was great. I mean, there's so much talent out there, but um, yeah, these two were the the ones and they're, they live in, you know, Phoenix and, you know, it was really cool to kind of have them, experience you know life in the 90s you know on the res explain to our listeners the the independent filmmakers journey starting now you're gonna be going to film festivals what happens then because it's you guys you 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 know you shot you six years writing two years since you film it's amazing the process what happens now yeah you know well the film industry obviously you guys know it changed um and so you know, the festivals are, you know, people are still figuring that out. So usually when you go to a film festival, you know, like five, 10 years ago, you would go with your film, hoping to sell it, you know, um, get a distributor. Um, now things have changed, you know, but also there's, you know, other opportunities too. There's uh, streamers and um, and I think there's, you know, good, I think, you know, people are, are hungry for, for something different, you know, a, a unique perspective. And you know, I think those kind of coming-of-age kids' um, stories with um, Native protagonists, I think, aren't necessarily, you know, something that's out there. I agree. It, as things get bigger and bigger, you hope, knock on wood, and World of Wonder is kind of founded on this delight that independent voices, independent stories, they shine. That they that even in the, you know, in the shadows of all these huge, like, skyscrapers, you know, uh, networks and projects, that something like this can, can have its own life and... <laughs> We can't see it yet, though, right? The general public, right? After South by, I think you know we'll we'll know what what's happening after that. Well, we'll be pushing it very hard here on the Wow Report, just so you know. I've seen it a couple of times, I have to say, and I think it's hilarious. I I think it's very moving. I was going to say it's hilarious. It's it's hilarious and moving, and I I just love that about it. And I'm a, a little proud dad. Nolan has a small part in the movie too. Oh, fun. Um, Billy, they say, you know, never work with animals or kids. What was, um, is that true? Is there any truth yeah. to that? Yes. Um, yeah, especially with your first film, you know. <laughs> um, 
limited hours, you know, and we had sheep and dogs on our set um, every day. So it was, it was, and we had a pandemic. Um, and so it was really, don't never work during a pandemic, they should say. <laughs> I think that's, but, you know, we got through it. And like I said, it shows on screen and you wouldn't have, you wouldn't even know there's a pandemic happening or there was children or monkeys on the set. <laughs> I watched what? it last night and I loved it, by the way. Oh. It was, it was great. It's awesome. really good for like, you can like kids can watch it too it's not just like an adult film it's like family friendly and yeah something that, was... that yeah yeah what were you gonna say it was something i i like really connected with the little kid too because being from the south you know you're gonna go out on the res and become a man you know it was kind of like you're gonna go hunting with your and you're like Ugh, i don't want to so i kind of like related awesome yeah, you know, I think it is um, accessible. And, you know, the first thing I wanted to make is, you know, an entertaining film. And um, I just, I, I think it's not just for Native people, you know, Native audiences. I think it's 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 pretty, um, the, the audience is, is pretty wide and um, diverse, you know. Um, and there's Fleetwood Mac in it, too, so. Yes. You know. <laughs> What's next for you? Well, I have been working on Miss Navajo. Um, my first documentary that well produced um, was, uh, I think, premiered in 2007. So I'm working on my feature um, based, loosely based on, on that documentary. Oh, fine. And, um, awesome. Yeah, yeah. And also, of course, uh, are you allowed to talk about this? Um, you're a writer and director on the AMC series Dark Winds. Season yes. two. Season two. Yes. It's based on those Tony Hillerman novels from the 70s. So it's a cop drama set on the Navajo Res, set in the 70s. It's, you know, produced, executive produced by George R. R. Martin and uh, Robert Redford. And yeah, it's uh, it's been going on for the past couple of years. And I just got back from directing an episode, my first TV episode. It Billy, is, as we say Billy. on Drag Race, your pussy's on fire. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a, it's a Billy Renaissance right now. Fabulous. It's something funny, actually, James, because yeah. I'm seeing Billy now, and it's perhaps the first time I've really seen him this entire year. Like, it's been away the whole time. And then he got back, and then I had to head out. So it's like... Like, it's the best hey. way to have a it's the best way to have a relationship. <laughs> For some people, definitely. <laughs> I feel the same way about James. Seeing him once a week by video is just fine with me. It works. It works for us. Oh, I love you, Tom. Well, that is fry bread face of me. Good luck um at South by. I'm excited to be there on on Friday. My God. Yes, like, yes, with your way. book. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So everything's well, coming up, Billy. <laughs> Boom. That's my show too. Thank you. All right, and coming soon to a movie theater near you or a platform. Um, we'll keep you updated as we learn more. Thank you, guys. Thank, Thank you, Billy. And James, it's not the skincare; it's that desk with the light coming in. You might have noticed <laughs> my face looks similarly radiant when i'm sat well i don't well so okay if you insist if, if that's oh, you know, you're going you know what, you know yes, what I'm using, you look I, as I, great as billy i i use um you know i've been using is Haley bieber road she has a new skincare line it's a little glossy <laughs> so that's 
I love it. It's all Haley Bieber. <laughs> Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Great Bye. to see you. Bye. Moving on to number nine, James. Number nine. Uh, last week, we talked about that insidious bill in Tennessee that was up for consideration, and it has since passed, meaning that as of April 1st, it is illegal to do drag outside of a nightclub. And uh, there are other bills pending in other states. Um what that means is it's not going to affect the drag race girls. It's not going to affect girls in, in, um, in New York and California. But if you are a drag queen in states like Tennessee, in a state like Florida, in a state like uh, Texas, the girls who make their money off of drag queen bingo, who make their money at places like Hamburger Mary's, drag queen story times, it really is. This is going to stop your ability to make a living at drag. And if you think that it's not coming for your state, then you're wrong. And the Republicans are coming for pride. They want to stop the pride parades. Um, it's, it's terrifying. It's something that we all need to be aware of. We all need to do what we can to, uh, to get the word out. Also, last week at CPAC, the um, conservative convention, Republican convention every year, a man named Michael Knowles was speaking and he went on an anti-trans tirade and he called for the eradication of transgenderism, which sounds like a very Hitler, Hitler final solution. And when he was called on it, he said, no, 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 no. I wasn't calling for the eradication of transgender people. I was calling for the eradication of transgenderism, which is a very thin line that I don't think the people at CPAC got. And I don't think the listeners on Fox News can understand the difference. It sounds like he wants to, you know, get rid of transgender people. And that's a terrifying thing. And I'm just hoping that um, World of Wonder can flex its muscles. I'm hoping that anyone who listens can do what they can to to get on social media and talk about it and to to contact your congressmen, your your elected representatives. Do what you can. Yes. This is a tough one because there doesn't seem to be an immediate battle to win. There doesn't, you know, it's it's not an election, let's go and outvote them. It is insidious and it's going through. There is something that's being done. Yeah. Um World of Wonder. MTV and RuPaul's Drag Race are creating a drag queen defense fund that oh, will raise good. money that goes to the ACLU. I'm so um, glad. It, it you know it, we really do have a very large platform, and I'm and that that brings tears to my eyes. So so know that there is something being done, and that's a lot of people with a lot of time trying to figure out what's the best first yeah. thing to do. And that's it. And yes, raise awareness, make your relatives aware. You know what I'm saying? Queer people are everywhere. We're all across the country. But, you know, and and, and just it goes back to and I'm not trying to shame anybody, but vote, vote, yeah. register yeah. to vote. At the end of every drag race, we put vote.gov, you know, and uh-huh. I know it's not an election year this second, but it's like you've got to vote. You, you've got to do what you can to keep these people out. You know, there is a difference between Republicans and Democrats. There is a difference. And it's and it's our very human civil our happiness in the pursuit, the pursuit of happiness, our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, we're not asking for anything extra. We're just asking to be left 
alone. Well, and it does seem like the Republicans have made their platform this year. They didn't have much of a platform four years ago, but they're making it into an anti-drag, anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ, and it's terrifying to watch what. what, what it's a distraction. It's a yeah. distraction. It is a so distraction. Go- I just, you know, I, I think history shows that the Republicans have used these sorts of issues to drive a wedge, to create division, to create fear, without actually bringing anything to bear on the many problems and complexities that face us. And um, hold on. The thing about that, though, is, is yes, for them, it's a distraction and they know what they're doing. But for the MAGA people on the ground, they don't understand that and they take it very seriously. And they're out there. They're they're getting violent. They're getting, you know, I I don't. Anyway, I I just wanted to talk about that a little bit, but we can talk. The fight continues. The fight continues. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Number eight. Number eight. I'll make this very quick because I'm a week late, but uh, I'm here in New Zealand and a bunch of us went on our one day off and we saw cocaine beer. And oh my God, it's so good. It's so good. I mean, you know, especially in these crazy dark times when, you know, what we just talked about is blowing my mind and filling my eyes with tears. And I, I don't know, cocaine bear was the perfect release because it's set in the eighties, as you guys know, and you've seen it, you've both seen it. And, but it also feels like an 80s movie, which is brilliant and with the music and the way it's scored and all of the plots and the subplots mixed with the most, I hate violent movies. I hate blood. Something about Cocaine Bear, it made it all right. It made it all, it's so, such a stupid premise. How can you not enjoy it? So I just wanted to weigh hey. in. But wait, wait a minute, Tom, hold on. Because to me, I, the thing that worries me is that it's going to be triggering to me. I'm going to think I'm going to be flashing back on all those 80s <laughs> nights and think, how did you do it? Because you hate violence. You you are, you know, anti-drug, of course. And, yes. Uh, how did you deal with the all that? The only time I got a little triggers is one of the bears goes up to one of the dead bodies covered in cocaine dust and goes, <laughs> I was like, oh, that looked good. It's going to make you laugh. And you won't be triggered. I'll go with you, James, when we come back. Or somebody go with James to make sure he goes straight home after the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Anyway. Cocaine Bear is in theaters now. It's up all, all right, night. Gonna... It's up all night. It's, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> it plays at 2 in the morning, 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, 5 in the morning, whenever you can get there. <laughs> We have talked about cocaine bear now for three weeks in a row. I think it's Let's the breakout it Let's do it next week, too. Come on, James. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I just hope there's a sequel or a spinoff. You know, I hope there's a, a Animals on Drugs universe of movies. Well, well I told you there, 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 already is, there already is meth alligator in the works. And, yeah. Um, I suggest, you know, um, uh, crack squirrel. <laughs> Consider it done. All right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. I'm Fenton here with James and Tom. We are counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow. And we've reached number seven. Number seven. Chris Rock, Selective Outrage, the Netflix live stand-up special. Are you up to speed? 
Was I living under a rock? Because I didn't know anything about that. Were you living under a rock? (laughs) (laughs) Now, just to point out how complicated life is, I watched a stand-up special. I want to review it for you guys and tell you what I saw. I laughed a lot. I was uncomfortable a lot. And now I'm afraid to talk about it because I I don't know what side of politics I land. It's a live special. It's Netflix's first live broadcast. Disney Plus did that live Elton John concert. So I like that. I like that the technology is allowing us to have some live stuff. It was um, shot in Baltimore. And, you know, people take for granted how delicately, like comedy specials are usually shot over like two or three performances. And then they carefully edit it together, do audience reaction shots, pace it. You know what I'm saying? Not change what happened, but like give it some fest. This is live. So they're on Chris Rock. They barely cut away to the audience. They seem to love him. Chris Rock, by the way, who I've seen live, is one of the funniest people alive. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, is he angry still. Because, you know, the big thing is, will he talk about the Will Smith thing? Yes, he does in the last 20 minutes. He bashes on them. He bashes on Jada Pinkett. He has a right to have that point of view. It just reminded me that this really affected him. This was not some, like, you'd like to think, well, it was a year ago, let it go. But like, it's no, a big fucking deal. Go. No, no, no. It, most, I mean, it was the biggest story of the year, basically. The biggest entertainment story. And he has a perfect right to, to be angry about it. Yes. Absolutely. But it yes. wasn't always easy uh, a man who lives alone with cats to deal with someone's anger like that, you know, and by the way, he has some hilarious, some people are saying it's hack stuff, but like he has hilarious thing about the Kardashians where it's like, you know, he, he goes from sort of picking on them to saying, you know what, they'll let, and Chris Jenner will let anybody in. She's the most inclusive person on earth. It's like, you're a bipolar rapper. Come on in. I'll make you a plate. You know, you're a crackhead basketball player. Come in. I'll make you a plate. Like, you know, anyway, so it goes on and on. There's lots of funny stuff. It's worth seeing. Um, um, you know, he has a lot of anger toward Jada Pinkett Smith. And again, I don't, I don't, I'm not supposedly black Twitter's angry at him. Some, most of the reviews are positive, but then there's like a women who think that he's being very disrespectful toward women. I don't know. It is comedy. But, but by but the same token, as he says that Jada is the one who opened the door for the conversation about, uh, the open marriage. She's the one who who spoke about it on her show, which makes it fair game to talk about. If she had, if she had kept her her business to herself, if she had kept her marriage to herself, he wouldn't be. We wouldn't be talking about it. He wouldn't be talking about it. So right. she is. But he says, but that wasn't up. the offense. He made fun of her her lack of hair. No, 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 no. I get that. But but what part of what he goes off on is he says, you know, when he's talking about Jada. Well, he's talking about, I think, he's talking about how, you're right, how Will Smith's anger was piqued by the humiliation that he had endured by Jada Pinkett going public. And that he was wound up and that that's what caused Will to sort of break, not Chris Rock. Um, But again, I'm not going to argue it. It's... It's very interesting. And again, it spoke to, it was directed by Joel Gallen, who did tons of like video music awards. He's the director of our time, the live director of our, of our lifetime and very talented. But there's something about the intensity of um, the intensity of his anger, the intensity of the liveness. Um, supposedly, I didn't see the live stuff because I, I think they've erased it. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Netflix had a big buildup with a bunch of comedians, Jerry Seinfeld and Amy Schumer. They were like, this is like, like it was a fight. Like this is going to be the comedy special of the 
decade, which a lot of people who did see it, I didn't, said it was a you know a huge letdown and just let something come out and not be. So maybe the gimmick of it being live didn't make it a definitional evening for Chris Rock, but more of a rocky event, if you will. To have been slapped in front of millions of people, like kind of punched more than slapped, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. Just like, was a, that must be in, in, a, in a place where it should have been a night of triumph for Will Smith. He should have, it should have been the greatest night of his life and he ruined it. He ruined it for himself. Yeah. It should have been, you know, the, the culmination yeah. of a career. And instead it became, but it was humiliating for Chris Rock too. So that's, that's really, yeah, that's it's, what I, I was exactly. I mean, that, that, I'm amazed he's stayed silent a whole year, really. Um, anyway, all right, let's move on. Number, ooh, James, number six. Number six. Some weird goings on at CNN right now under the direction of the new CEO, Chris Licht, and the owner, who we know is a Republican Trump supporter, John Malone. And we know that it's moving to the right. It's been pivoting to the right for a while now. And in fact, if you look at it, it looks like Fox. It has that ticker tape going underneath, scrolling underneath like Fox does, like Banana Republic you know, television stations do. Um, they have fired a lot of their on-air talent. A lot of people are gone, and the new people that they brought on are very interesting. The, a lot of them are British, and every and I think it's because they think that if they're shoveling out bullshit, if it has a British accent, people are willing <laughs> to buy it. And we know that from this radio show. No offense, Fenton. No offense. <laughs> Um, wow. They also have a bunch of on-air talent that look like they like like ladies who lunch all of a sudden. There's there's this woman who looks like she's she talks like this. She's she sounds like she's summering in Kennebunkport. She's got the big helmet hairdo and she's in Chanel all the time. And she's their new, you know, star reporter and she's on the scene. And then there's this other woman named um what is her name? Layla Harak who has a show on at three o'clock in the morning from like three o'clock to five o'clock. And she's trying for like a Christian almond poor thing, but she talks, she too has that sort of lockjaw. Like she went to Miss Porter's or, or, you know, um, Foxcroft or something like that. And she's always in Margella and come to our son. And she wears very expensive diamonds and she's just really fabulous, 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 Donnie. And, but, and that sort of seems to be the thing that's happened to traditionally at news stations, the anchors and reporters wear conservative clothing because you don't want to call attention to the outfit. You don't want the outfit to be the thing that's talked about when, when you want what you're talking about to be the subject, right? Well, that's gone out the window. And now everybody is coming like they're going to a nightclub. They're in cocktail dresses <laughs> with big costume jewelry. They're at, Don Lemon especially is doing this gay boy fashionista twink looks where he's wearing these little lilac suits, these little pink twin sets draped over his shoulder. He's wearing Tom Brown and these big googly glasses. And he's just, it's bizarre to see everybody dressing like they're going to a nightclub. It's just strange. So CNN's uh, newsroom now looks like the RuPaul's Drag Race workroom. Is it that fair does. to say? It really does. These these people are one step away from, from being Bianca Del Rio, from being, you know, <laughs> it's just from being Tammy Brown. It's crazy. Well, 
And what about the content? What about the news itself? How's that changed? Well, like I said, it is. It's doing a whataboutism thing that they never did before. It's very much giving both sides to the story. And to that end, you seem to skew more right than left. You know, I mean, if you're giving, if you're just telling the right story, you're giving them more air than they should have. It's very weird to watch. I said this years ago. I used to listen to KABC radio in the 90s when it used to have conservative and liberal shows back, you know, different reporters. And I would get sucked in for moments at a time to the conservative point of view because it's simple. It has an answer. There's yeah. someone to blame. And, you know, some part, you know, when, when you're conf- in liberalism and, and what's the truth, the truth, forget about liberalism, the truth very, is, is confusing and, and complicated. And yeah, 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 it's true. So, like I said, just giving them a, a, a little air is is giving them a lot more than than they should. And it's truth versus lies. It's truth yeah, versus yeah. prejudice. It's not like both sides. That that's where it's it's almost misstated. It's not yeah, both sides. You're absolutely correct. Yeah, I felt the writing was on the wall with Chris Licht when he forbade CNN to call it the big lie or the big steal. Yeah. He felt that that was too emotive, and yet that was really just the truth it wasn't an emotive thing that it they are lies about the election being stolen they there's just no two ways about it so not to call it what it is seems felt and it seems the only person who is safe there is anderson cooper just as if you keep hearing about the dominion going to bring down fox and the only person who is safe there is tucker carlson it seems like both sides have their star person who cannot be touched and Mm. it, it anderson seems like he's He's sort of uh, Teflon at this point. And he's not wearing anything different. He's sticking with his wardrobe. Well, but Anderson, you just, you're always looking at Anderson, what he's wearing, because you know he's a Vanderbilt, and you always wonder what the suit is, and is it Brioni, and is it... I'm not sure, but I think Anderson's wearing tucking panties under his suit, just so you know, <laughs> just so you know. Anyway, right. I just wanted to talk about that for a second. Number five. Number five. It is the Oscars this weekend, and I've been watching the Oscar docs. My vote goes to Navalny, the amazing film about the Russian dissident. It is unbelievable and contains some of the best phone calls you will ever see caught on film. Perfect phone calls, Donald Trump might have called them. But I also watched um, Fire of Love, which is a documentary about um, uh, volcano-obsessed lovers, Maurice and Katia Kraft. They would... They would go to um, so Nat Geo film and they would go to uh, volcanoes and, and take Not amazing volcanoes. It's it's poor. It's volcano porn, basically, of lava oh, erupting. Lava. It's not very ejaculatory um, and incredibly satisfying to watch. Um, they're actually crazy. They are obsessed with volcanoes in a way that is like, well, what do you actually do? I mean, the film is full of them sort of taking selfies on the edge of the volcano, frying eggs on some hot lava, you know, standing while rocks are spewing down on you. Um, And of course, spoiler alert, they perished in a 1991 eruption of Mount Unzin. Um, I knew that was coming. I don't know why I knew that was coming. It's horrible. But the, the film is an amazing art. I mean, the film stands on the genius of the archive alone, even though I questioned, like, what exactly scientifically are they doing other than going, hey, standing by, by lava in danger of losing my life, which was ultimately what happened. 
Well, I uh, always sort of have a problem with like, you know, Grizzly Man and like mm. all these these documentaries where the person dies and you're just sort of celebrating their foolishness. Right. And, sort of glorifying their foolishness. Yeah. I agree. It is a little bit like that. Uh, and the, the the voiceover is very like a, a female version of Werner Herzog and it doesn't quite land. The other documentary I watched, and James, I'd love to know if you've seen it and what you might think about it is it's called All the Beauty and the Bloodshed. And it's Laura Poitras's film about Nan Golden and oh, the Sackler yeah. family. Oh, I'm Nan very Golden excited an about this. Yeah. Um, an East uh, Village artist, I guess, who who created a show called um, Ballad of Sexual Dependency, right? Yes. He did this uh, amazing slideshow, part of the punk movement, new wave in the East Village. She became addicted to opioids. And she very narrowly survived and has gone on this campaign to discredit the Sackler family, who are the, the family behind, uh, who make the opioids and who benefact all the museums. They, you know, well, have a wing at it, the Met. Yeah, at the, the Metropolitan, there's the Sackler wing. At the museum, uh, the, the London, the British Museum, there's a Sackler wing. I mean, they they basically give hundreds of millions of dollars to to... Yeah, so it's yeah. kind of. The, I guess you could say that. they're sort of uh, laundering their money, I suppose. Yes, right. Yes. Um, and she's been on this campaign, and, and the film made by Laura Poitras, who made um, Citizen Four. Laura Poitras is the director, and it ends up being a kind of biography of Nan Golden. She had a terrible childhood. She's very close to her, her sister who killed herself, um, and then it talks about her time in the East Village. There's a huge chunk on David Wojnarowicz. It's a really clever working together. It's multiple narratives, but all told through the lens of her experience and her work. Well, what's interesting about this to me is that for so long, she was sort of accused of glorifying that druggy culture of the East Village in the 1980s. And she took pictures. I mean, so many pictures that we of drag queens and trans girls that we know um, you know, are were featured in there, but it also there was a lot of drug taking that was photographed, and hmm. so for her to have this turnaround where she realizes that, uh, you know, that sounds like a full journey to me. That sounds yeah. like a beginning, middle, and an end. You know what I mean? That yeah. that's that's life. Yeah, yeah. It, it it really is a very compelling film. Um, and you're right, James. I mean, I think that punk world and it was a, there was a lot of drug taking. And, and I think she found the camera as a kind of her work has always been a kind of therapy and a way to, like, hold on to reality. And then when she she had an accident and was prescribed opioids and she said, I became addicted overnight. As and so many as what happens to so many people. You know, you don't you don't go into opioid addiction wanting to be addicted. It is, mm. you know, because you're in, pain, in so much pain and doctors mm. out there are getting paid to, mm. you know, prescribe it. But I just wanted to wish luck to all the documentary films and, and we'll find out uh, at the end of the weekend. Who won the Oscar? And Fire of Love is streaming on Hulu, and All the Beauty and Bloodshed is available for rent. So more to come. Nice. Yeah. All right. We're going to take another break. Um, and when we come back, we'll continue with our countdown. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. 
Welcome back to The Wear Report. Ed Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake. We're counting down the top 10 things of the week that made us go wow, and we've reached number four. Number four. Um, I am going to tell you guys about something I've been watching on Discovery Plus. You know, my streamer that I enjoy so much. It's this show called Engineering Catastrophes. And I felt <laughs> like Fenton it, would love it. Speaking like, to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, one because one of the things that they talk about that I think you've spoken about on this show is the walkie scorchy. It's this huge building in London that's built like a walkie-talkie. And people, the the light, because the building is concave and it had glass on the front, the light was reflecting down to the storefronts and it actually caught this rug on fire. People were frying <laughs> eggs on the sidewalk. They had to eventually go in and add these like blinders to like shade. It was like sunshades. So didn't you talk about that, Fenton? I did, yes. I think like someone's car got melted. Like (laughs) yes. Sort of death ray. Yeah, (laughs) some guy's car got melted. Yeah. It's like the eye of Sauron in uh in (laughs) the Sir in Syracuse, there's the dome, which is their football stadium, and the roof, I think they've since fixed it because this show. It's six seasons, and the sixth season just aired, but the first season that I started watching is in 2018, so some of these have been fixed. The dome in Syracuse, (laughs) it was one of those roofs that was made out of like a plastic cloth material, and the way it worked is they pumped air into it like an air balloon. They had these huge fans, so the roof inflated. So when you walk outside, you know, it's like... <laughs> but the exhaust. But when it snowed a lot, because it's in Syracuse, the the snowiest major city in USA, it the roof could collapse. So they've since like added like a structure that actually holds holds up the roof. So, but it's really interesting. It's on Discovery Plus. I'm on the first season. I'm totally going to continue on it. Ton. There's like three or four catastrophes per episode so it's really good What's it called again? it's called um extreme catastrophes there's a twitter site that i go to all the time i can't remember what it's called but it's always got like buildings falling over and cranes crashing and just you know engineering um mishaps right they talked fun. about uh the leaning tower of pisa and how they drilled holes into it like sideways to make it collapse and stand up straight a little straighter it's really cool yes check that out and uh, the the website is called catastrophic failure on twitter there we go (laughs) all right number three james number three i watched a documentary called last night in new york and it's a documentary about david patrick columbia and i'm sure you all know who david patrick columbia is No, no. Remind me. He does a blog. He does a high society blog that he's been doing since the year 2000. And it is sort of in the vein of, um, uh, it follows high society people. Uh, You know, it used to like, there used to be Susie. There used to be Women's Wear Daily. There used to be Town and Country. And all of that seems to have disappeared. And you think that high society itself has disappeared because, 
nobody talks about it anymore. No, you know, it's all TikTok stars and social media influencers and all those old grand doms, the, the Muffy Potter Astons and Brooke Astors and Nan Kempners, they're all gone. And so you wonder if there's a new generation out there. And I'm here to tell you that there is. And David Patrick Columbia is the gentleman who follows them and record and talks about them every day. You go onto the site and every day there's pictures, you know, like there used to be in the olden days. And David Patrick Columbia is this very elegant older gentleman. He's in his late 70s, early 80s, and he's very handsome, and he's very well-spoken. And wherever he goes, the old society women just swoon because he's got, like, this Cary Grant quality about him, this Jimmy Stewart quality about him. And you follow him going to uh, interviewing. There's still some, like, Rockefellers and some Roosevelts and some Fords that are around, and he talks to them. And he talks, he finds some of the old 80s ladies who lunch, Gayfried Steinberg. I don't know if you remember Gayfried Steinberg, who was a big nouveau riche billionaire woman. Uh, Susan Goodfriend is still around. Cornelia Guest, of course. He talks to Patrick Mullen, our friend Billy Norwich. Um, but he has a really interesting backstory where he grew up very dirt poor and always wanted to be a part of society. And now he's the head of society. And his grandmother killed, murdered his grandfather, and he, he was around for that. And his father had a secret other family that he didn't re- know about until like 10 years ago. So he has this interesting backstory that he tells. Oh, and then he came out very late in life. I think in his 50s or 60s, he came out of the closet. And um, it's just it's sort of a fascinating glimpse into a world that you didn't really know still existed, but they're hiding. They, they know that it's, it's all about, you know, that they, they, you know, the old guard is now very old money and they're, they've sort of, they aren't in the public eye like they were in the 1980s and in the go-go greed is good, conspicuous consumption eighties. Now they are sort of hidden away in their, you know, their mansions and they only sort of, they're only with themselves. And, but he has managed to crack that. And he, every day he posts his things on New York social diary. And it's just sort of a fascinating thing that only I seem to be interested because I see you both shaking your heads. Like here goes James. James, No, no, you're completely wrong about that. I just thinking about, um, Stein, what's what's uh, Gayfred Steinberg, right? Yes. yes. And Susan Goodfriend, right? Yes. I mean, they are both like first ladies of the leveraged buyout mania yes. of the eighties, and they were despised as being new money and flashy. And so now- flashy. If you remember, um, uh, Dominic Dunn wrote uh, people like us about Gayfried yes. Steinberg. Yes. And how much they were with the Trumps and people, the old guard right. just hated them. But now they are the old guard and they are the ones that, that, you know, they've sort of managed to outlive being nouveau riche where now they are old money. So what do they do? I mean, do they go out? Do they Well, they do, but it's interesting because nobody, you know, back in the 80s, everyone was wearing big, huge ball gowns and big, big jewels and big hair. Well, now La Croix, all... sweetie. La Croix. La Croix, sweetie. La Croix. Now they're all in little cashmere twin sets like you like Don Lemon, and they're all wearing very <laughs> subtle jewels, and they don't describe themselves as socialites anymore. You know, Gayfried Steinberg is an interior designer, and Susan mm. Goodfriend is a realtor now. They don't ever mention the word society. They are, you know, they're working women, you know, because it, that's what's chic now, that it's not cool to, to just be, you know, socialite for socialite's sake. It's just a fascinating little how the times have changed since the 1980s. 
That is Last Night in New York, available for rent, Amazon, Google Play, YouTube, Apple, etc. There you go. Number two. Number two. It's the Oscars on Sunday. I don't know if anybody's going to watch. Doesn't seem like there's much excitement in this room for it. But, no, uh, are you kidding? No, no, because I, I'm I, I'm sorry. You know, I know that everything everywhere all at once is going to sweep, and we've talked about that last week. And I was really hoping that Banshees of Inner Sheeran. There's there's a bunch of other really wonderful things this year. I'm not sure it will sweep, James. And I was I was doing a little bit of like best picture um, homework. I watched, well, <laughs> I tried to watch The Fablemans. It's about this kid. Who gets into making movies? Okay, guess who it is. But then there's this shot where they're all Boy Scouts and they're all out on their bicycles and they turn the corner. And I'm like, I had a visceral reaction. I was like, I cannot watch this. I feel physically <laughs> sick. But just even even for Michelle Williams, though, isn't Michelle Williams just radiant? Yes, but I find the whole thing just sort of overwhelmed with sort of mawkish sentimentality. But it's a and little so masturbatory, isn't it? It's it's very, yes. It is. And I guess I don't like movies about movies. So then I thought, okay, palette cleanser. I'm going to watch Babylon because Babylon is not nominated for Best Picture. I think it's nominated for some things. And I tried to watch it before and stopped very early on when the elephant shit on everybody. And I, I got about an hour into that. And it's by directed by um Yeah, the guy who did La La Man. Chazelle, yes. who's a very percussive filmmaker. Everything's sort of in your face. Like it feels like everything's on drugs, you know, just well, it's very <laughs> it's it's sort of a kind of a Baz Luhrmann esque, but uh, Yes. Yes. Yeah. For, yes. But what's interesting I, I felt is that both these films are about movie making. And I found that like unexamined is why are we making films about movie making? Why are we so nostalgically obsessed with this movie making thing? It's it, it just felt unexamined in the sense that it felt like, oh, it's heroic, oh, it's amazing. And I sort of watching these these attempts to really engage me with the magic of making movies. And wait, I was like, wait a minute, no, hold on. I'm gonna call you out on this for a second. Yeah, I do remember uh, many years ago you were obsessed with the idea of making a movie about um Ali Nazimova in the Garden uh, of Allah. And that yeah. was and to me, this is sort of the same thing where it's concentrating yeah. on that particular period of silent filmmaking, which holds a big fascination for me. And yes. I I I can see that why there's an interest in that period where it was just anarchy and it was just sort of hedonistic in a way that can't be. But the lifestyle during that period of filmmaking is one thing to follow versus the actual art of filmmaking. Right. Okay. Okay. And you've watched the film, James, have you? Well, I can't get past the fact that Margot Robbie's hair and makeup do not look like anything like the 1920s. There is <laughs> that nothing, is true. It that looks like 2010s. It's bizarre. But, well, actually, the same thing applies in the sense that it's as if everything then was a music video montage. Yes. And, <laughs> and, and, and I know he's trying to get the anarchy, and I know he's trying to get the decadence, but it's too... It's just so fake. And it just is like, it wasn't like, and I, it, it, this is my point, James, that I think the squalor and the grit, the cinematic lens, I just think often 
over exaggerates everything to the point of it not being relatable. And I feel that that's the same thing in Spielberg's Fablemans as it is in Babylon, even though they're completely different films. They're both about the same subject in a sense. And they both sort of, in their own way, over egg it and just can't. And yet, nothing is real or remotely relatable. And yet, Baz Luhrmann has created a formula, love him or hate him, of great success doing that exact thing. So I, I hear you. And the Fablemans, the only reason I didn't like Fablemans, but just because Steven Spielberg has created so many memorable movies, I give him this one. But if that wins, I don't well, know. Well, we I'm all know that Tom wants Top Gun to win. You're gunning for Top Gun, am I correct? <laughs> I tell you, I actually found the thing that should win. It's not it's not qualifying, but um, there's a new porn movie out, and in it, Jennifer Coolidge appears. Oh, I saw that. Yes, it's a, a tiny clip from Netflix Christmas movie, Single All The Way. I guess it was a Christmas movie. I don't know. Single yes. All The Way. And the two gays come into the room and they sit on the couch. And he's like, here, watch this. And holds his iPhone up. And they watch this clip of Jennifer Coolidge saying, it's because the gay, it's because gays know how to do stuff. Just know how to do stuff. And then, and then the line is, in the porn film, the guy says, yes, I guess we do know how to do stuff. And then they start making out and have a fucking scene. I haven't seen that. What happens at the end, I wonder? What happens at the end? Mm. <laughs> well, I, I do just want to say that um, today they um, uh, showed it to Jennifer Coolidge and she said, that's fucking brilliant. <laughs> I love she her. Loved it. I love her. <laughs> she said she hasn't laughed so much in a long time. So, yeah, exactly. Um, okay, we're going to take one more break. I will just tell you that Drag Race Zverij, I love saying Zverij. Uh, also known as Drag Race Sweden, and Drag Race Belgique, also known as Drag Race Belgium, they're both streaming now on Wow Presents Plus. Um, so go to wowpresentsplus.com, and um, you too will uh, have a lovely time, hopefully. And when we come back, we'll reveal the number one thing this week that made us go wow with a very special surprise guest here on the Wow Report on Radio Andy. World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. And welcome back to the Wow Report. Fenton here with Tom and James and Blake, who is in conversation with our super special guest and number one thing this week and every week that makes us go wow. Number one. Jeej, the only woman I will ever love. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I love you back. I love you back. Um, So the show is, your show, Leave It to Jeej, which was on Lifetime, is now streaming on Discovery Plus. I know. It's one of my favorite streamers. It has all the things I love in one place, murder shows, HGTV, and then shows about people, like, where you learn you know, different ways of life. Yeah, yeah. You know, and your show is on there and I watched it and I freaking love it. Tell us a little bit about it. Oh my God, I love you for loving it. Um, Yeah, I'm so excited that it's on Discovery Plus and um, that's such a great, they have so many good documentaries. I don't know if you've watched their documentaries. I feel like they've got lots of really good ones. Um, So the show um is made by world of wonder of course and you know world of wonder i partnered with them about 10 years ago i immediately fell in love with them because they represent people from all communities and celebrate people no matter who they are where they're from what they're doing you know and i just love how they've embraced our community um my son pooty we affectionately call him pooty 
has autism. He's non-speaking and he needs one-on-one support. Um, and he and, is a hunk. Oh, he's hot as fuck. He looks like Elvis. I know I've, I've been on the show a few times <laughs> and I say it every goddamn time because I need to give props and respect where it's due. He looks like Elvis. He is so hot and he's got a great bod. Um, and he gets real tan in the summer. But anyway, uh, I knew early on when Pootie was little and just got diagnosed, I wanted to do something because I didn't like what I was seeing in the media. And now think back, this is probably about 10, 13 years ago when I had this idea. Um, and a lot has changed and there's a lot more talk about autism in the media now, but there's still not enough. You know, there's right. a little full of shows, you know, but there's still not enough. And I feel like um, World of Wonder took a chance on me and wanted to show our lives just raw, unfiltered. And the great thing about the show, we have four young men with autism on the show and a, a, a host of other people. You'll see uh, people from all walks of life. And um, the Nikki, thing about it is... Nikki is hilarious. Nikki is... I love Nikki. Nikki is a showgirl. Like, he needs to be... He needs to be with Jinx Monsoon right now on stage. In totally. Like, he's... <laughs> He is amazing. So, uh, so Pootie is, you know, um, needs more support. Nikki is very moderate and does an amazing job being Nikki, just the showgirl. And um, Tyler is my roommate, my best friend, and he's Pootie's main caregiver. And he gets diagnosed throughout the season, which is also a first on television, to actually watch somebody go through that process and he's very vulnerable he's very raw and real about it and it just shows the spectrum you know it's right. just so big because here you've got Pootie who is not speaking and on the other end you've got tyler who's a phd student a behavior analyst uh he has a master's degree he's smarter than all of his professors who are teaching him right now so right. i mean just so cool to see everything in between. And he's but, the one that, I mean, you and him take care of Pootie. So someone I, on the spectrum, like, can be, can help I, someone yeah, else on the spectrum. Yeah. He, he's better with Pootie than I am. I mean, I'm great about dishing out the love and putting in, you know, and being the mama and giving him a lot of good tastes and cute outfits. And Tyler's the one that walks in the room and then Pootie's just like freezes and just behaves for him because yeah. Tyler, you know, he's consistent and Pootie needs that consistency. So, yeah, but the the thing I love about it most is the way that the show was made. It's it, everybody. This was my dream, too. Everybody is on a level playing field. You forget you're watching a show about autism. You're sitting there yeah. laughing like crazy because we're just this irreverent, crazy yes, bunch you of folks. Are. And you forget that you're, you know, you're not. And that's the perfect thing for me. That's what I wanted you know, with the show, I wanted to send that message that you know, like, don't feel sorry for us. You know, you need to actually envy me because I yeah. have this world and you don't, I've got yeah. this, you know, I see life through a whole different lens and it's, I think it's better. It's beautiful. It's better. We have so much fun. So, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like our show, so many people say it's like the new modern family. It's yeah. like, you know, and, 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 and I love that when people leave the show, they're laughing, they're entertained, and they've learned a lot. You know, kind of, we sneak that in there a little bit. All of a sudden, exactly. you know, they're like, hey, I saw somebody, you know, who now I understand, uh, you know, mm. 
I saw somebody in the store who was having some issues and now I understand they're not having issues. They're having fun. They're doing their thing and I get it now, you know, so. Right. Anyway, it, it's, um, it was, well, it was so fun to do. I love the show. It's streaming on discovery plus. So binge it this weekend. If you can, um, I want to, before we go, I just want to talk about Pootie's glam routine. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> she it's puts so and like, designer duds and drowses them in like a bucket of good smelling cologne every day <laughs> yes he's always in some french cologne his bucket his little toiletry bucket we picked it up the day other day i mean it weighed like 30 pounds i was like what the fuck is in here just so many just the lotions and potions that go on his face there's like eight that i missed and you, and when <laughs> you sent him to camp and you had like his glam routine for the camp counselor. It's funny. And that guy, you know, he was just like, um, yeah, like, I'm not going to do any of this shit. And every, time they, every time that they would FaceTime me, Pootie looked awful. I was like, where's his hair gel? His outfit looks crazy. Pop that collar. Like they just didn't do anything I said. But yeah, I love I that. I think he's so gorgeous and I have fun doing it. I love, you know, and he's not asking me. He's one of these kids who's just you know he's so happy doing what he's doing he's not asking me for a bunch of stuff exactly. he's not asking me you know like my daughter needs a new car we had to get a new car he's not asking me for you know give me a phone give me a, you know so i'm just like okay then whatever i was gonna spend on that i'm spending on all this other and his james she sent him to camp with a farrah faucet and a wham poster to put up <laughs> do you remember that poster james with the fair yeah. you know the nips he yeah, has a, he has a red, which he's in the red he has, the, the hair. I he, had that forever on my wall. Even though I was gay, it's gonna be gay as a goose. I, I still had that. I had it on my wall and I'm straight. Like I don't know why I had it on my wall, but I've got I've got this fair it was, it was hair goals, is what it was. We yeah. all wanted that okay. hair and those nipples. It's the nipple goals, <laughs> and I got lucky in life. I wound up getting her nipples. They're exactly the same. <laughs> I've Googled her raw nipples, and they're exactly mine. So well, lucky. on that note, thank you so much, Deej. Watch the show. <laughs> Leave it to Deej on Discovery Plus. Thank you, Deej. Thank you. Yes, we love you so much. Come back love anytime. You. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Well, that's all we got time for this week. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James. Thank you, Blake. Thank you, Thanks, Gene. Blake. Thanks, Tom. And also, thank you, Billy, and good luck with your movie. Thanks for tuning in to The Wow Report. Same time, same place next week. Until then, go out and do something that makes the world go wow. wow.